Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word to us, your word that gives us life. Please, would you transform us and encourage us this Easter day uh, by your word and what the message that you have for us for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Second readings from, second readings from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12, the resurrection of the dead. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, well, it's lovely to be with you here on this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, as Mark said, my name's Geoffrey Lynn. Uh, I work with university students up in Adelaide, but I'm also one of the pastors at Holy Trinity in the city. Uh, and it's a great delight to be here, uh, like many, as visitors here this Sunday morning, and in particular to have a chance uh, to reflect for a few minutes on the Bible passages that were read for us. Can I ask you, please, inside the handout that you are given, you'll find a little leaflet, which is this size. If you take it out, you'll find both an outline of what I'm going to talk about uh, and a couple of Bible passages there, which, if you have in front of you, will help you to see that I'm not making things up. I'm just taking them straight from the Bible, and it'll save you flicking through the Bible itself as well. So that's why I've given you that outline. And as Mark said, uh, the topic for this talk is, imagine a world where death wins. A couple of years ago, I went to a funeral uh, for the mother-in-law of a good friend of mine. Uh, she had lived for nearly 70 years. She had had good health throughout. She'd hardly suffered at the end. And when she died, peacefully, she was surrounded by her sons and her grandchildren. At her request, the funeral and wake was held at Ayers House uh, up on North Terrace. It was a beautiful summer's day. There was lots of good food and drink and laughter at shared memories. It was in many ways less a time for mourning and more a time for celebration. This woman had had a wonderful life. It was full of rich experiences with almost everything that this world has to offer. She had success. She had marriage. She had travel and holidays. And all of it, it was in the company of people who loved her and whom she loved. But she wasn't a Christian. And as I left, I was therefore struck by two conflicting emotions. On the one hand, a deep thankfulness for this person and for the blessings that she had received and given. And that it was a privilege to have heard even just a little of her story. But on the other hand, I had an even deeper sadness that after 70 years, she was no more. And with that came a hollowness that she was gone forever. And for all the platitudes of she lives on in our memories, that didn't really seem that comforting, not in the face of such loss. Imagine a world where death wins. If it did, life would be all about making the most of it while we can which, can I say, is not a bad aspiration. It's just that I'm greedy. I want more than that. In preparing this talk this week, I figured I had a couple of options. On the one hand, I could spend time trying to demonstrate for us all the limitations of being in a world where death has the final say, to try and articulate why we don't want that to be true, and why actually all of us are greedy, why we all want more. I could point out how if we are no more than a collection of atoms that have agreed to hang out for a while, it'd be pointless trying to find an overall meaning to our life. 
I could point out that and remind us that if death really does win, then ultimately it gives rise to universal selfishness as all of us do our very best to seize the day. Or I could inundate us with the despair that comes from realising that on our planet, some in this life have everything, while others get nothing. And history shows that even if we will try to change the status quo, we'll never rectify the inequity of a privileged few having untold wealth while millions subsist in abject poverty. I could do that, but that's a bit bleak, isn't it? And particularly for a long weekend. So instead, on Resurrection Sunday, which is what Christians call this day, I thought I'd address a specific question about Jesus and death. See, for a moment, I want us to imagine a world where death defeats Jesus. Or to put it differently, what if he didn't rise from the dead those 2,000 years ago? Well, you'll see there, that's uh, the main point today. Point one, what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? The first of the readings that we had uh, this morning recounts what happened on that first Easter Sunday. For a moment, I'd just like you to ask you, imagine if the story stopped halfway through with an empty tomb, a missing body, but no sign of Jesus. What if Jesus didn't rise, if his body hadn't been moved or stolen? Now, most Australians, I think, would say that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then the worst thing would be that we'd lose a four-day long weekend. Uh, We'd probably also, and this is an advantage, we'd probably save a few trips to the gym to work off that extra chocolate that's been consumed. A couple of years ago, I read that Australians spend, wait for this, over $200 million a year on Easter eggs, which, given that some of us don't like chocolate, means that the rest of us really pigged out, didn't we? But 1 Corinthians 15, which is the second of the readings, it suggests three implications if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And I just want to talk about each of them very briefly. You'll see them printed there on your handout. First implication, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christians have been sold a lie and Christians are selling a lie. Look at verse 14 from 1 Corinthians 15. I printed there on your handout. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. The Apostle Paul is the one who's writing at this point. He's very clear. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, Christians have been sold. Worse, they are selling a lie about Jesus himself. You see that in a bunch of ways. Again, I've printed the verses there for you underneath. Your faith is useless, he says, because we've been sold a lie about Jesus. Jesus himself is a liar. He predicted that he would die and rise again. You see that there in Mark chapter 8. So if he lies about himself, you cannot trust anything that he has to say. Jesus is not the Son of God. If he has not been raised from the dead. Here again, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1. Look at what he says. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, but who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. If Jesus is not the Son of God, he is no different from the doomsday prophets who appear from time to time promising much, but delivering nothing. And thirdly, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he is not our judge. Acts chapter 17 God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. If Jesus is not the judge, then despite what Christians say, you will not have to stand before him. You will not have to give an account for your life. And Moreover, Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our preaching is useless. We are false witnesses about God. Uh, to emphasise just how serious this charge is, uh, like some of us here, I'm a parent, I have children. Can I tell you just how cranky I get when people misquote me? That's bad enough, but nothing is worse than if you misquote about my children. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then Christians have been sold and are selling a lie. Second implication, over the page, our sins have not been forgiven. Our sins have not been forgiven. Look how Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Uh, the Easter story is a package deal. It's not a series of optional extras. You can't pick and choose the bits you like. And discard the rest. It's all or nothing. Good Friday is not good unless there is Easter Sunday. Why? Well, because unless Jesus has also risen from the dead on the Sunday, he cannot take away our sins. If he, hasn't, if he cannot take away our sins, if he's not raised from the dead, then his sacrifice that we remember each Friday is no better than any you and I might make. To give you an illustration, if I were to say to you that I would offer to give up my life to take away the sins of the world, you might possibly admire my intentions, but you're unlikely to take me very seriously. Mostly because you know, even if you don't know me, that my life is no different from yours. It is worth no more than anyone else's. But that's the point of Romans chapter 1. Christ's resurrection demonstrates his incomparable worth. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, uh, the Bible will go on to say that we have no priest who can speak on our behalf to God. This is the Hebrews 7 passage there. Hebrews 7 verse 23. The writer says there have been many such priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood and he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. 
What the Bible consistently says is that if we have no one to speak on our behalf, then when we eventually do stand before God, we will be consumed by his power. That's not because God is in any way capricious or malevolent or belligerent. It's simply because God is perfect and holy and pure in the way in which you and I are not. It means that we have no place in the presence of such perfection unless there is one who lives to vouch for us, to say that we are okay because of him. Well, third and final implication then. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christians have been sold and are selling a lie. Our sins have not been forgiven. Thirdly and finally, we are without hope. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 15. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The way in which this passage concludes is to say that if Jesus didn't rise, Christians are not just liars with unforgiven sins. Worst, we are people to be pitied. Paul is saying Christians are pathetic if Jesus didn't rise because we've based our lives in hope of something we will never achieve. We're chasing an illusion or a mirage. I think we all know in the end that unmet expectations are so much more disappointing than having no expectations. Uh, That's why some of us go through life with very low or little expectations because we're afraid of being hurt. Paul is saying here that if death wins, if Jesus didn't rise, then not only have Christians lost our future, we have lost our present. Which makes us not only worthy of condemnation, but above all pity. And is pity not the worst judgment that you can pronounce on anyone? Can I say to you that if you're here today uh, at the invitation of a member of this church, perhaps you've come to support Casey and Eli, Uh, maybe members of this church who are here on holidays with you have persuaded you to come to church this Sunday morning, Can I say to you that if for you you're convinced Jesus didn't rise from the dead, please don't just say, my Christian friend or family member and I will agree to disagree. Can I urge you, show that you care for them by trying to persuade them that they are wrong. Because if Christ is not raised from the dead... They are, to be to pity, they are to be pitied above all people. Uh, to the members of this church, can I just say, they're coming for you. <laughs> I don't mean that. I'm giving them permission because this really matters. Well, point two, much more quickly, but Jesus did rise from the dead. Uh, Back to the first reading that we had, it's concluded a series that this church has been making its way through this year in John's Gospel. About halfway through the reading, we heard that Mary is alone at the tomb. Peter and the other disciple, his name is John, they've cleared off. Perhaps, I suspect, they're afraid that they'll be implicated in the disappearance of the body. So like good men, they run away. 
the woman stays behind, and I can't help but think if only they'd had as much courage as she did. Because at last, she does see Jesus. She sees him risen from the dead. Because death has not won. It has not defeated him. He is alive. What does she do next? Well, as Jesus directs her, she goes to the disciples, to the others. And in verse 18, she says that she has seen Jesus alive. Uh, Clearly, they don't believe her. If you were to read on in verse 19, you'll discover that the disciples are huddled away in a locked room. Uh, This is not the sign of people who are convinced. They are far from certain, but confronted with the evidence. They change their minds. And they start doing what Jesus has told Mary. They start telling everyone that Jesus is alive And that kind of news is so transforming that it spreads like wildfire. It goes from person to person, from Jerusalem throughout Israel, eventually to the ends of the earth for generations across 2,000 years until finally that news has made its way to us here this morning in Victor Harbour. Because it's news that's too good not to share. Jesus is alive. Death has not won. And that changes everything. Uh, Along the way, this news comes to Paul, the person who wrote 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, What I didn't mention and what you might not realise is that Paul wasn't always a Christian. He wasn't always an apostle. In fact, prior to meeting the resurrected Christ, Paul had devoted his life to persecuting, even executing Christians for their outrageous claim that Jesus might no longer be dead. Look at how he concludes there in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. I know many in this congregation are avid farmers, or at least love to grow things in their backyard. I do not. But my wife has a mandarin tree, and every spring, when the first mandarin turns from green to orange, we know there are many more to come. So too with Jesus' resurrection. He has been raised. Death has no power over him. He is the first fruit of a great harvest to come. Well, let me finish then with a question. Where is Jesus now? Where is Jesus now? Christians recognise that Jesus died on Good Friday, that he rose on Easter Sunday, and if you're new to Christianity, you might therefore be wondering, okay, even if I believe those first two steps, where is he now? Why can't I see him? Because that probably would persuade me that he is alive. What the Bible goes on to do is describe how 40, 40 days later, after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. And there he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And one day he will return. He'll return to judge the living and the dead and to call his children home. If you want to hear how that story ends 
and you're here today as someone for whom this is the first time you've heard this news, uh, well, I don't have permission to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Take the Bible that you were given, take it away with you, and just keep reading in John's account. There's only one more chapter afterwards. See what happens next. We would love for you to take that as your gift and as a record of your time here that you might hear more about this risen Lord Jesus. Well, so what? What's the point of all this talk? I thought I'd give you, make a brief confession, and my confession is this. I actually find it really hard to imagine a world where death doesn't win. And that's for two reasons. The first is that every day I see death at work. And I've never actually met anyone who's escaped from death. So it seems, at least statistically, that death will have the final say. Maybe you feel the same. The second reason why I find it hard to imagine a world where death doesn't win is because it's almost impossible to imagine what life after death might be like. A couple of years ago, I was talking with a student at university who asked me to describe what heaven was. And as I talked with him about its being with Jesus, I had one of those almost out-of-body experiences. Now, I imagine that I was eavesdropping on myself. I found myself listening to the words coming out of my mouth. And I thought, wow, no wonder this guy doesn't have any clue what I'm talking about. It sounds almost completely unbelievable. It's so far removed from the ordinariness of life. In my quieter moments, I do wonder, what if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What if my faith is futile? And it might sound a little bit shocking to you, but um, because I haven't seen Jesus with my own eyes, I still have doubts even though I'm an ordained minister. Because we Christians live by faith and not by sight yet. Jesus did rise from the dead. Death has not won. Though he's gone away for a while, I think it means the ultimate question is not how strong is my faith, Or what even do I do with my doubts? But rather, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? I've given you a reference there to a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. And with this, I'll conclude. Here, Jesus tells a story, I think, to make the reality of his return as personal as it possibly can be. Tells a story about a wealthy businessman who's taking a sabbatical. He's going away for a time. Before he leaves, he calls in three of his most trusted employees and asks them to look after the business, to make sure that it keeps growing so that when he returns, actually it will have been as if nothing had changed. He gives them, and the language of the time is a bag of gold. He gives the first five bags of gold, the second two bags of gold, the third one bag of gold, and he says, look after it on my behalf. Each of you have abilities and skills. They're different, so I'm giving you different amounts. But he says that when I return, I'll ask for an accounting. I want to know what you did with my resources. 
When he comes back a few years later, we discover that the one who has five, he's doubled it to ten bags of gold. And he's told, come and share in your master's happiness. Now, we're not actually told what that is, but it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Come and share in your master's happiness. Uh, Likewise, with the one who's given two bags of gold, he's done well, he's doubled it to four, he gets the same commendation. But the third employee, the one given one bag, well, he's done nothing. He's protected it, but he's not used it. He is so afraid of messing up that he hides the bag away. And the verdict? He's fired. He loses everything. Now, of course, so there's no doubt, in the story, Jesus is that businessman. All of us are servants. It means that either of us are one of the first two who've used everything that God has given us in his service, our possessions, our abilities, our time, our talents, our lives. And we're looking forward rightly to the great expectation of a reward. Or we're the third employee, also given so much, but paralysed by an irrational fear of failure. Clearly, he loves us. But as a result, we have nothing to show for it. This Easter long weekend, I just want to ask you, are you ready for his return? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness and mercy you have reached out to us, you have filled our lives with good things, but above all, you have sent your Son. So we pray, in this week ahead, show us what it means to live in such a way that honours him who is our Saviour and Lord. Amen.